Welcome to a podcast of a sermon delivered at the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood in New Jersey. Our congregation is a place where you will find inspiration in the richness of diverse beliefs and the power of community. Detailed information about the Unitarian Society of Ridgewood is available on our website, uuridgewood.org. Now please join in the words for lighting our chalice. They're projected. We light this chalice. Now take a deep breath and let it out. As we sit together in the quiet, let yourself be here now. Just be. And as the sound rings out, hear in it a welcome cry calling out to you, to bring all of yourself here. Hear in it a welcome cry, calling out to you to be just who you are. Breathe deeply and listen. A long time ago now, I read a very small book called Faith by Sharon Salzberg. I don't know if any of you have read this book. In it, she writes this. I once had a dream in which someone asked me, why do we love people? I answered, because they recognize us. I think this is true. When someone recognizes a basic goodness within us, Beyond our habits and conditioning, when someone recognizes who we fundamentally are, it is the most important thing that can happen to us, and we respond with great love. I've always loved that little passage, and I believe it to be true. It tells us about what love is, what the gift of love is born from, seeing someone for who they really are, recognizing them with all their flaws and in all their glory. Love in its biggest and best sense happens when people see each other deeply and truly. And it comes in many shapes and forms and ways of being given, but at its heart, it's about knowing another person, seeing the basic goodness in them, looking for the heart of them. There's something freeing in loving in that way, and there's something freeing about being loved that way. This coming week is Valentine's Day, as I'm sure you're aware, and there will likely be cards and chocolates and flowers in many of our futures, and it's fun to have a day to recognize the importance of love, but all too often we focus on romantic love. But love that is deep and true isn't only found there. We find it for ourselves, among friends, among family, so On Thursday, I'm going to urge you to recognize and think about all the different people in your life who see you for who you are and to honor that knowing and that gift of loving. Every Sunday, we make time for practicing generosity, but we also make time for practicing silence and mindfulness. We sit together, take our time to breathe and be We each use this time in ways that are meaningful to us. This morning, I invite you to settle into your seat, 
get comfortable, take a deep breath. I'll speak some words, we'll move into our silence, and then we will sing together. Take a deep and slow breath. Spirit of life, spirit of love and difference and change and sorrow and joy. This morning, we collectively express our longing for the strength of love. We hope for the strength of love that leads us to work for peace and justice, for equality and mercy. We hope for the strength of love that empowers us to forgive and move forward, to heal and let go. We hope for the strength of love that enables us to live each day with gentleness and compassion, with generosity and openness. We hope for the strength of love that helps us to overcome fear and confusion, to overcome defensiveness and anger. We hope for the strength of love that teaches us to love our neighbors as ourselves and ourselves as our neighbors. We hope for the strength of love that allows us to be true beacons of light in the darkness, to be bearers of the spirit. And we hope for the strength of love that reminds us that each and every person is made in the image of the holy, the sacred, that reminds us that each person we encounter and we ourselves are beautiful, worthy, loved, and full of love to give. In the silence, we lift up the hopes of our own hearts. Take a deep breath. My junior year of college, I went abroad for this fall semester, and I got lucky that when I came back in the spring, a room was open in the suite where my dear friend lived. I moved in right next door to her and across from Robert. All I knew going in was that my friend was halfway, if not fully, in love with Robert, and it was not reciprocated. They were just friends. When I arrived, I don't honestly remember how it happened, but before too long, Robert and I were friends, then good friends, and by the fall of senior year, he was my best friend. And he gave me permission to share this story, just so you know. He would hang out endlessly in my room, and then when he walked home, he would call me and we would talk while he was walking back home. This went on for a year, and then we graduated, and it went on again while I lived in Texas and he was in New York City. I could talk to Robert about anything, except, of course, my own developing feelings for him, until it became necessary because I had no idea where we stood and what we were to each other. The conversations that followed were difficult and awkward, and before too long, we simply didn't speak. What had been one of the most integral relationships of my young life became nothing virtually overnight. The most painful part truly was losing that daily communication with a friend. Fast forward many years later to our 10-year college reunion. There, under a tent at our class dinner, in a quiet voice after so many years, this erstwhile best friend of mine came out to me. Robert told me who he was in a way he'd never been able to tell me before. 
All those years ago, Robert had known who he was, but for reasons of his own, hadn't felt free to live it. He had even felt that he could tell me, whose room he sat in for hours on end, me the person who otherwise he shared freely with of his life. I wasn't altogether surprised when he told me, and I wasn't mad. Mainly, I was sad. I wondered if I had done enough back then to let him know that with me, he would have found a safe place to be himself. I wondered if I had ever inadvertently made it harder for him. It pained me, on both our behalfs, really, that he had felt the need to hide part of himself from me, and it made me feel for just a moment like maybe we hadn't been to and for each other what I had always thought that we had. For just a few moments after he told me, I hurt because I thought perhaps we hadn't seen each other truly, hadn't really loved each other. And, and this is the important part, at the end of the day, his choice to share this piece of himself was his to make. It was his choice back when we were young, and it was his to make 10 years later. My pain in that moment was nothing compared with what he must have endured as he navigated living as himself and sharing his deepest realities with the world. My job in response was not to rehash what had been or wonder about why. My only job was to love my friend then and now and to trust that the friendship we had was as real as anything, as true and deep as anything, because, and this is again the important part, as a cisgender heterosexual person, I can't possibly know what his struggle had been, what factors played into his decision to share when and where he shared. I will probably ask him that one day, and if I'm lucky, he'll feel comfortable telling me that story, but it was his journey to determine not mine to judge, not mine to mourn, and not mine to doubt. The minister at the congregation of my childhood was, for a long time, the Reverend Dr. Forrest Church. At 60, Forrest was diagnosed with a terminal cancer. In his writings after his diagnosis, he articulated his thoughts on life and love and death. In a book titled Love and Death, he quoted from the letter he sent to his congregation informing them of his illness. In that letter, he wrote, I can also happily report that the theology I have hammered out in your good company, religion as our human response to the dual reality of being alive and having to die, and the purpose of life being to live in such a way that our lives will prove worth dying for, offers the same comfort to me during my own time of trial that I pray it has given you in yours. As for my mantra, want what you have, do what you can, and be who you are, I practice each every day, feeling myself blessed beyond measure. So someday we'll engage with the first two parts of that mantra, want what you have and do what you can, but today we're bringing that third element into our conversation, be who you are. It's an admirable goal, certainly. Another colleague of mine, the Reverend Pete Peter Friedrichs preached in his congregation near Philadelphia a series on that mantra, and in the third sermon on the piece, Be Who You Are, he unpacked it and spoke about how we are socialized to be certain ways, how we are taught throughout childhood by societal messaging and by our families of origin that certain behaviors are good or bad or certain things are expected of us. Peter speaks to the ways our culture tries to prevent all of us from becoming who we are. He says, 
The forces that dictate against being who we are are powerful and many. To be who we are can be like swimming upstream against a strong current of expectations and what I call the tyranny of the shoulds. And as if these forces aren't enough to defeat us, to be who we are is made all the more challenging by our lack of self-knowledge and self-awareness. I think Peter's right in his working through this third piece of Forrest's mantra. Our work, the work of our lifetimes, is to figure out who we really are, to attempt that discovery, to undertake that journey to our deepest and truest selves. It's important work. It's the work that enables living fully and honestly in the world such that we can actually identify our gifts and our talents and make the best use of them to heal the world. But I have a little bone to pick It's all well and good to suggest that we ought to undertake the journey of discovery and then live our lives honestly and truly as exactly who we are. But the reality is that when some of our human family try to do that, they encounter hatred, vitriol, disbelief. Consider the crayon in the children's story. The crayon had a sense of what it was. It wasn't red. But all around the crayon were others saying... You don't know yourself. We know you. You're red. But that crayon was blue. It just was. And it took courage for the crayon to try and figure out what it was and tell the world, and the response was not uniformly positive all along the way. To say simply, be who you are, doesn't account for the narrow-minded, oppressive, prejudiced world we live in. To say, be who you are, doesn't account for the number of transgender folks, especially people of color, being killed across this country for being who they are. It doesn't account for the hatred and danger that someone might face because they are simply trying to be themselves. It doesn't account for family pressure to marry someone of the opposite gender and produce a family. To be who you are is absolutely an admirable goal, but it won't do for us to insist that other people be themselves on our timeline. They need to feel safe, held, assured that their identities will be celebrated. Each of us gets to choose how and when to tell the important truths of our own lives, our gender, our sexuality, our health or illness, our reproductive choices. We get to uncover who we are, learn about our own lives and intentions, And then we get to determine when and if we want to share that with others. Now, of course, we want everybody to be who they are. We here want everyone in the world to have a chance to discover their truest and best selves and live that without fear, without danger, without sacrifice. Our desire, our shared Unitarian Universalist desire for a world in which everyone can be themselves means that we have an obligation. We have an obligation to create a world where everyone's truths can be assured of a warm and embracing welcome, a world where all identities are affirmed. And until that world at large is created, our work is to make sure that we, each of us, are known in our circles as safe and trustworthy confidants, and that our community here is known as a safe space. I want anyone who walks through our doors to feel confident that here, regardless of their gender expression or sexuality, they will find a warm welcome and a loving embrace, 
a group of genuine and stalwart companions on their life's journey. Part of being able to offer that is educating ourselves. Just a minute ago, I described myself as cisgender. I realize you may all know these terms well, but we're gonna take a minute to review some of them today just in case, because I think it's important that we share language needed to create a different world, and because I don't want to assume that we're all on the same page understanding the regnant terminology in LGBTQ issues. So cisgender means that a person's gender identity is aligned with the physical sex organs they were born with, okay? Transgender means that a person's gender is opposite from the physical sex organs they were born with. Non-binary, genderqueer, gender questioning are all terms that refer to folks who don't understand themselves to fall neatly into male or female as categories. These terms all refer to a person's gender. They have nothing at all to do with sexuality. They address a person's self-understood gender. The terms heterosexual, lesbian, gay, bisexual, asexual, and more refer to a person's sexual orientation, meaning who they are attracted to. With all of that information, we actually do a decent job here. We have an all-genders bathroom here on this floor, though we don't downstairs. We have a pride flag flying out front. We try to be sensitive on our Sunday services to the language and pronouns we're using, but we could rewrite our bylaws into gender-neutral language and all of our policies. We could, as some congregations do, indicate our preferred pronouns on our name tags. There are things we could be doing to be even more welcoming to others whose identities make them vulnerable in the world at large. And I do often feel like that congregation in the reading by Victoria Safford, full of hopes and ideals often falling short, but determined to keep honoring the vastness of human experience and loving, and to become the congregation that loves all. Education is important, but so is exposure, conversation, and a thoughtful effort to be ever more inclusive. You may have noticed earlier this week our governor, Phil Murphy, just signed a bill requiring that children be taught in schools about the contributions throughout history of LGBTQ folks. Did you see this? Yes. The law requires that the boards of education, quote, provide instruction on the political, economic, and social contributions of persons with disabilities and lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people in an appropriate place in the curriculum of middle school and high school students, starting in the 2021 school year. 2020 to 2021 school year. New Jersey is only the second state to enact such legislation, and I think we ought to be quite proud, actually. Education, exposure, and a thoughtful effort to be ever more inclusive are what shifts this world to being one in which folks can truly be themselves. It helps turn the tide of a world in which, right now, differences in gender expression or sexuality are still considered a threat. Victoria Safford calls it human life in all its incarnations. Teresa Inez Soto's poem, our second reading from this morning, cuts a little deeper. She writes with the risks and the dangers exposed. She writes, the way you survive is everything. I know you feel invisible, like nothing and no one knows your name. And she concludes, 
you are worthy of witness. You are beautiful. She echoes what our hymn of reflection reaffirms. You are beautiful. You are worthy. Your loving is a miracle. You in all your glory are whole and wondrous. The poem gets to the heart of what is at stake because it's not just about welcoming. It's about seeing, loving, embracing so that others can survive, so that other humans are not rendered invisible, so that all, all, might truly know that they are beautiful and that their lives have worth and their beings, whoever they are, are deserving of our witness. It's about life lived fully and openly and joyfully and safely. My own deep belief in the value of being seen is why I always come back to that Sharon Salzberg quote I read during the opening words. Again, what she writes is, I once had a dream in which someone asked me, why do we love people? I answered, because they recognize us. I think this is true. When someone recognizes a basic goodness within us, beyond our habits and conditioning, when someone recognizes who we fundamentally are, it is the most important thing that can happen to us, and we respond with great love. That passage resonates so strongly with me. I have had cause in my own life to experience that feeling of being seen, finally, for who I am. It happened again recently with a new acquaintance who I feel has seen and known and heard and appreciated me with all my quirks and oddities. When that happens, when someone looks at us and sees us, allows us to be vulnerable, to speak our needs, and to be exactly who we are, it is life-altering, game-changing life-saving. It may indeed be the most important thing that can happen to us, to be recognized beyond all the stuff that accrues in a lifetime, to be recognized for the heart of us as ourselves. It almost feels like there's no choice but to respond with love. And again, I'm not concerned here with romantic love alone. I'm talking about the kind of soul-swelling love that we feel for friends and family and lovers and that happens when we truly feel seen and known in the world, truly free to be who we are. I have also had cause, especially since becoming a minister, to be on the other side of the equation, to be the one to see, to know, to recognize. And interestingly, I think the impact is somewhat the same. When we take that time, when we open our hearts, when we really try to know someone to see the heart of them, we almost can't help but feel for them that kind of cosmic love that recognizes a fellow human being struggling and determined and journeying through self-discovery. If you've ever offered that gift, that gift of knowing, then I suspect you know that it is a gift of loving that can change a life, indeed save a life. Our deepest beliefs in love and our shared humanity call us to work for a world where everyone is free to be who they are, to be seen and known and loved for just who they are. So we will educate ourselves, we will work for that day, and until it comes, we will stand ready to bear witness to the fullness and truth of others' lives with a warm welcome, a commitment to their safety, and a loving embrace. We will stand ready to offer love and recognition, knowing that this gift, given and received, 
may well be the thing that ensures our or another's survival. Please join me in a responsive reading that reaffirms our commitment. It's not in your book, so don't go reach in. It's just going to be here. You're, you're trained to do it. Um, that reaffirms our commitment to creating a world where everyone can be themselves. You'll read the italics. In the face of hate, in the face of exclusion, in the face of homophobia, in the face of racism, in the face of xenophobia, in the face of misogyny, in the face of demagoguery, in the face of religious intolerance, in the face of narrow nationalism, in the face of bigotry, in the face of despair, as Unitarian Universalists, we answer the call of love now more than ever. May we continue evermore to learn and grow and to offer to others a judgment-free love for their whole, flawed, and beautiful selves. You, each of you, all of us, we are nothing less than beautiful, nothing less than whole. Each of you, all of us, our loving is indeed a miracle, a gift, the tool that will enable all of us to be who we are. May we love boldly and freely and in our own time, each find a way to being ourselves. Please remain standing and join in the words for extinguishing our chalice. We extinguish the flame. burn bright in our hearts until we are together again. Be who you are, but perhaps even more importantly, may you go out and make this world one of welcome and love for others so that they may be who they are. May you be seen and offer the gift of seeing. May you be welcomed and offer the gift of welcome. May you be loved and offer the gift of loving all the days of your life. Go in peace.